The homilies or sermons contained in these podcasts were delivered by Deacon Joe Dietz, a permanent deacon serving at St. Edward Catholic Church in Ashland, Ohio, a parish of the Diocese of Cleveland. Each homily is preceded by a reading of the Gospel of the Day. All these homilies are the same in content as those preached. They have been recreated to improve the sound quality of the podcast. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Jesus said to his disciples, In those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from the sky, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the end of the earth to the end of the sky. Learn a lesson from the fig tree. When its branch becomes tender and sprouts leaves, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see these things happening, know that he is near, at the gates. Amen, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But of that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. The Gospel of the Lord. There is a story about a priest who once stood up and addressed his congregation with this question. How many of you want to go to heaven? After seeing their hands go up, he asked simply, How many of you are ready to go right now? And then he sat down. End of homily. Now, I'm not letting you off that easy. But in light of today's gospel, it does cause me to wonder if we saw Jesus coming in the clouds with great power and glory, how would we feel? We can't say surprised, right? Because every time we say the Lord's Prayer here at Mass, we add, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. And since Jesus and the Father are one, we should not be surprised to see Jesus coming in power and glory. But in order to try to answer this question accurately, we should probably first try to grasp the moment as best we can with our imagination. So if you will imagine with me, it is the middle of the day, and suddenly we notice that it has gotten dark outside. More dark than just heavy clouds or an approaching storm. It's gotten really dark, as in total solar eclipse dark. So naturally, we go outside to see what's going on. And then we see Jesus coming forth from the heavens. And his image covers the sky from east to west, much like one of those rare but dramatic sunrises or sunsets. You know the ones I mean? that due to atmospheric conditions or pollution or reflecting cloud cover or whatever, seem to impact the entire horizon with color and light. This experience of Jesus is such that we immediately know that what we are seeing is not of earthly origin. It's not fireworks or a PowerPoint projection or a balloon glow. It is the big one. And suddenly, in an instant of realization, we come to know without a doubt that it is all true. Jesus is coming with great power and glory. How would we feel? As I reflected on this question, two biblical examples of people's feelings upon encountering God came to mind. The first is Adam and Eve in the garden after they have eaten of the fruit of the forbidden tree. 
In Genesis chapter 3, it says, And then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And the man said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. The second example is the one of the two disciples that met Jesus on the day of his resurrection, walking to Emmaus. After spending the day with him and sharing dinner, it says in Luke chapter 24, And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished out of their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and those who were with them. And then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. It is likely that our reaction to that big day, that awesome, wonderful day, when Jesus comes, will lean toward one or the other of these responses. Either we will be worried that the Master has come and we are not ready, or we will be thrilled to see him coming in his glory, ready and anxious to proceed in the next step of our eternal life that we have started living with him while on this earth. When Jesus appears across the sky, we want to say, Hallelujah, he has come to take me home. Not, uh uh-oh, not ready. And that desired response should be no different whether Jesus' appearance to us is across the sky at the end of the world or at the foot of our bed when our personal time on earth comes to an end. Every liturgical year at this time, we hear readings that talk about the end times, about judgment, about tumult and chaos. These readings can become so scary and unsettling that some preachers I know feel it necessary to preach only about God's mercy and forgiveness and don't go near God's justice and judgment. I get it. When I am confronted with my struggle against sin, I always want to think of God's mercy as giving me a general pass on my wrongdoings. You know, that somehow God will simply give me a combined score on my whole life, glossing over the bad in favor of the good. If I let it, This desire will allow me to minimize the impact and significance of my individual sin and decrease any sense of urgency to do something about it. It is easier for me to want to see God as simply loving and merciful and to hope in spite of my failings He will give me an overall passing score. But what if God is more detail-oriented than that? If every hair of my head is counted, and no sparrow falls to earth without his knowledge. It sounds like God is a supreme being that pays attention to detail. And if God pays attention to the details of my specific and individual sinful actions, shouldn't I give them my full attention as well? God's mercy, as wonderful and awesome and generous as it is, isn't something to simply count on at the end, after we have lived our life. God's mercy is something to work with, to take advantage of, from the beginning, as we live our lives. Baptism is the first experience we have of God's mercy, a wonderful initiation, a welcoming to the family. But for most of us, 
there is a long time between baptism and final judgment. How we feel about facing Jesus in the end is most likely going to be a combination of our baptism and how we have lived our life since that wonderful event. And the living of that life should be one that incorporates and utilizes God's mercy as a necessary and frequent means to repair the damage sin does in our lives, to return us to God, to live in His grace. God created us with a free will that entrusts to us the greatest control over how we will feel on that judgment day, how ready we will be to face Jesus. But there is, of course, more than one way to exercise our free will. I saw in the news that a 69-year-old gentleman in a European country has petitioned the court in that country to legally change his age to 20 years younger than he actually is, from age 69 to age 49. In an interview in the Washington Post, he said, because nowadays in Europe and in the United States we are free people, we can make our own decisions if we want to change our name or if we want to change our gender, so I want to change my age. My feeling about my body and about my mind is that I am about 40 or 45. The article went on to say that he wants to tell potential dating partners and clients that he is as young as he feels, not as old as he is. But he didn't want to lie. Now, while that man's efforts to legally change his age are certainly an expression of his free will, I think it is rather unlikely that his effort to change his age legally or otherwise will have any effect on the timing of his final appointment with God. I'm also not sure how that effort will impact the way he will feel when he stands before God. I would suggest that a better option on the exercise of free will is our choice to pray not for our will, but for God's will. And so we return to the Lord's Prayer. Every time we pray, as Jesus taught us, we pray not only that God's kingdom come but that the Father's will be done. Thy will be done is a prayer for us. It is not a prayer that God's will be done somehow in spite of our will. Not a God's will that is somehow contrary to what is best for us. When we pray for God's will to be done, we are praying for the very best thing that can happen to us. We are praying that the one who loves us, the one who cares about us, the one who created us, the one who knows all there is to know about us, the one who knows what is best for us and desires nothing more than our salvation, that his will be done, the Father's will, not our often messed up, poorly intentioned, weak, sinful, fragile, self-interested, dysfunctional will, but the Father's will be done. Jesus taught us to pray that God's will be done for our sake, not for God's sake. For Jesus knew that in submitting our will to the Father and trusting in His mercy, that was the way we would find the path to life, the fullness of joy in His presence, and delights at His right hand forever. Send questions or comments regarding this podcast to Deacon Joe 2017 at gmail.com.